Testament book, Psalm 119. We're taking just a short break from our study in Nehemiah to look at the book of Psalms. You may or may not know this. Some of you probably do. Um, The first Southern Baptist seminary to be founded uh, was established really close to here, down in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Throughout the 1850s, Southern Baptists had had really raised um, up the banner of the importance of having a place where pastors could come and be trained, whether they had a a grammar school education or they had no education at all. Um, There'd be a place where where pastors can come and, and be trained and missionaries could be trained ultimately and be sent out. Um, And that finally came to fruition in 1858 and officially in 1859, starting down in Greenville, South Carolina. And there were four men that were involved as as the founders, uh, and one of them's name was Basil Manley Jr. His father had been the pastor at First Baptist in Charleston, so his father was a very important Southern Baptist uh, leader in the 19th century. Uh, But he was an important figure in and of himself, again, being one of these founders of the seminary that still bears that name. So there's no longer a seminary in Greensville, right? Well, that's the one that's now in Louisville. It ultimately moved out to the Civil War because the destruction here in the Carolinas was so significant, there really wasn't a whole lot left. And so Louisville was a fresh start for them, still bearing, again, that name, the Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, Basil Manley Jr. said this, and this is where I'm ultimately teeing us up for, to, to hear this from him. He said, if we are to be mighty in God's work then we must be mighty in God's word. Let me read that again. If we are to be mighty in God's work, then we must be mighty in God's word. And so when I was at the seminary in Louisville, um, written on the wall in one of the main buildings was that quotation with with his name ascribed there. And it always struck me, and it's always been one of my favorite quotations thinking about this, the importance of God's word. If we are to do things for God, if we are to be on mission for God, if we are to be faithful to what God has called us to do, we must be men and women of the word. And Baptists have, throughout our history, called ourselves a people of the book. And all Protestants would would ultimately say that. But Baptists, above all people, have really emphasized that, that we are a people, a men and women of the book. And so Basil Manley's, I think, his saying here is so good in terms of helping us see the importance of God's word, not merely part of what we do, not merely something that we do on Sundays, but rather about who we are if we are to be faithful, if we are to be energized to do what God has called us to do. And so that leads me to Psalm 119. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 17, just a few verses here, obviously not the whole thing, the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, but go to verse 17, and I'll read through verse 24 as we reflect on Uh, this together, the importance of God's word and what it should mean to us. Deal bountifully with your servant, verse 17, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on earth, on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, you who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My counselors. Several different ways here that he's going to talk about the word of God. In verse 17, he says, your word Verse 18, he calls it the law. Verse 19, commandments. 
and um, your rules in verse 20, your commandments in verse 21, your testimonies in verse 22, your statutes in verse 23, and your, your uh, testimonies again in verse 24, all here referring to that same thing that we see in verse 17, your word, the word of God. The idea here in verse 17 of, of living, when he says this, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word, and all these different ways that he's going to talk about that. Um, he's not merely referring to survival, like God, help me to survive in this moment. He's talking about the quality of life that is found in God alone. The, the, the thriving of life, the goodness of life, so many things that we think about in, in ultimately connecting this to the Sermon on the Mount. All these things that we think about, the good life and a faithful life, all that is found here ultimately in the Lord's blessing here and in through the word of God. And so he's asking for blessing, but it's, it's in the specific context. It's not merely God bless me in sort of whatever, whatever idea or whichever way, but in a really specific way then grounded by everything else he's saying here. And we have to keep reading ultimately to find out the details. In verse 18, as we look at this, this, this is a prayer uh, that I regularly voice as I go to pick up the Bible to read it. Whether it's I'm um, reading it just in the morning in my devotional time or if I'm going to take some extra time to really study the word for my sermon or for whatever it is, this is a wonderful prayer. And let me commend it to you. Open my eyes, verse 18, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, if we... If I didn't explain all those things about the different ways he's talking about the word of God here, we might think of law, wondrous things, and, and sort of like law, we don't think of law that way. Remember, this is speaking about the word of God. The law was the first five books of the Bible, but very often uh, it just became sort of shorthand for the Hebrew Bible. The law of God, what God has given us, what God has revealed to us, what God has taught us, again, how we are to live in the world that God created. Because we understand that God is the creator, and so he is the one to give us the instruction manual for our lives, Right? The same way that the person who designs and creates a car, they're the ones to ultimately design the, the instruction manual, right? Because they're the ones who know how it was intended to be used and how it's going to be used best. And so in the word of God, what he gives to us is how we are to live in this world, how we are to live before him, how we are to treat one another, how we are to relate to him, and so on. And so that's this, this, the wondrous things that God gives us in his word, which is all grace, by the way. God didn't have to give us the Bible. And there are people in the world today, of course, who don't have access to the Bible. And they would be in darkness, right? And yet the one who has the word, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Just a beautiful way that he expresses this. In verse 19, the psalmist voices something that is true for all of us. This theme that we see all throughout the scriptures, that we are sojourners in this world. We're pilgrims in this world. We, we walk the pilgrim's path, right? As the lyrics of the old hymn goes, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it without the tune, not to give it away. So name this hymn, right? While we walk the pilgrim's pathway. Someone name the hymn. While we walk the pilgrim's pathway. Now you know I don't want to sing in the choir, right? What, what hymn is that? When we all get to heaven. So we all know it. Right? So just, just the way that song, right? We sing these things all the time, and we don't even think about it. We, we are on a pilgrim's pathway. Billy's looking back. You knew what it was. Billy definitely knew what it was. Right? So we walk on the pilgrim's pathway because we are sojourners. 
We are pilgrims in this world. And we continue to be that way until the Lord returns. We, that's just our, our status in this world. Because we are pilgrims, that comes with a whole lot of suggestions, right? We need guidance. Can you imagine moving to a new country? You don't know the language. You don't know how to get around. You don't know anything about the food. You don't know anything about the culture. You need a, a guide, right? Someone to teach you how to live in that country. Well, we live as foreigners in this world, as sojourners in this world, because of sin, the effects of sin, because in Christ we are ultimately um, removed in a sense of being unique and set apart in God's holiness. And so, and so as Christians, we need God's word as our guide. And that's the important part here. What is our guide? What, what guides you? What tells you what is good in your life? What tells you what is not good? What is evil? Is it, is it your favorite news channel? Is it, a, is it a series of magazines? Is it just kind of old cliches that we use in the culture? All, every, every culture has their own cliches and folk tales. Well, some of those things might be good and fine within their own context, but as Christians, we know the Word of God is our guide. It's our guide for, for faith. It's our guide for conduct, how we treat other people, how we relate to God, all of these things. Again, being a people of the book. If we are to to do mighty things for God. If we are to be mighty in God's work, we must be mighty in God's word. So in verse 20, because the psalmist knows the goodness and the power of God's word, he longs for it. Look at verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing. You ever talk about the Bible that way? Consumed with longing. I'm longing so very much, in other words, for your rules, for your word, your good guidance at all times. Do you long for God's word in that way? May the Lord give you that longing. I mean, do you, do you wake up in the morning or before you lie down at night, do you say, I can't wait to sit down, put that Bible in my lap or that iPad in my lap or however you read the Bible. Maybe you listen to it on an audio book. It, it's, it's something that, that should be natural for us as Christians that we would long for God's word. And maybe there was a time that you did long for it. And yet eventually our hearts grow cold. We have other things going on in our lives and we, we become consumed with work or with family or with other ambitions. And God would welcome us back in this text and say, come, long for my word. Find me in my word. Know me through my word. Our spiritual habits should, should testify to this. I mean, if you only read the Bible for 30 seconds once a week, you're not longing for it, Clearly. When you're longing for food and if it's at your disposal, you are going to consume it. I'm an expert at it. Okay? If we long for something, and all, y'all seriously, we are so blessed. We, we all have multiple Bibles in our homes probably. I, goodness, I, mean, I can't count how many I probably have in my home and my study here in different places. We are so blessed with access to the Bible. And yet very often it becomes casual, doesn't it? May the Lord instill a fresh longing, a fresh desire in your heart tonight through his word. It might seem like a strange thing to think that, well, oh, so, so reading the Bible and hearing the Bible can actually make me want it more? Absolutely. Absolutely. If the Bible becomes something that, again, is something you hear a little bit on Sunday, and yeah, maybe you have a couple verses in your house, and you maybe read those a little bit, but you're not really in the word, well, of course. It just becomes so standard, and we take advantage of it. Verse 21 is an expression of God's justice. You, uh, you can't read the Bible very long without seeing the importance of this theme. Our God is holy. He is just. That goes back to what I was praying about earlier, thinking about the Supreme Court. 
God will do what is just and he will judge those who do contrary to his word. In verse 22, knowing God's justice, the psalmist pleads that, that, he ought, that, um, that he has sought to follow God's word. Let's just read it. Verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt for I have your testimonies. Now, he's, he's not claiming moral perfection. He's not saying, by the way, God, I am perfectly righteous, and you know that I've never sinned. No, no, he certainly has, and he's aware of that. And very often in the Psalms, he's repenting of sin. We think of Psalm 53 famously. But throughout this chapter, he's expressing that he has, he has set his heart on God's word. God, I, I have put your word before me as my guide. I've put your word before me as the thing to light my path. And, and God, I'm seeking to follow after it. That's the thing that we should be able to pray. Again, not with perfection. We know that, that we fall short and God is gracious. And yet God's word is there for us ultimately so that we know how we should then live. Verse 23, we remember that David was a man who knew many trials. I mean, the Bible's full of it, right? His own son tries to kill him and take the throne, right? His child has his life taken from him. I mean, he goes through a lot of suffering. He's hiding out in a cave because the king is trying to kill him when he's a young man. David knows suffering, and he has been through many, many trials. And so, but as he thinks about this, he says, even as princes sit plotting against me, and this is one more example, he realized David was king, and we often assume, oh, he probably lived in some, you know, some nice palace, and everything was perfect, everything was taken care of. Being a king came with a whole lot of perks, but it was a really dangerous thing to be a king, too. Not only did you have to look out for your own life, but in theory, your main job as king was to protect your people. I mean, that was your, your day-to-day job. Make sure people don't come in and raid and kill and do whatever other you know, uh, war parties would do, or trying to take your land and so on. That was always a threat in the ancient world at all times. And so he has to live in that world. There, there were plenty of threats at every moment. Maybe there were princes plotting against him at that very moment. There might be some lined up outside the gates of his city, outside of Jerusalem. But look what he does here. He finds solace in God's word. His confidence is not in his chariots. He had them. had a bunch of chariots. His confidence is not in his soldiers, his foot soldiers or his archers. His confidence is not in the wealth and the money that he's accumulated. He had plenty of that too. His confidence is not in all of those things. His confidence is not in leaders that he has, smart people around him. He's blessed to have that. But his confidence is in the Lord, in the word of God. So often we find confidence in tangible things, again, our, in our bank account, in our retirement account, or, or again, in resources we have, our property or whatever it would be, or, or people in our lives. I can lean on him and on her, and, and that gives us our confidence. That's our strength, right? All those things are a blessing. Thank God for people in our lives and for resources. Thank God for those things. And yet, David's confidence is in the word of God. Full stop. He, he meditates. In fact, and, and that was, that was uh, something I want us to think about here. What, what is the specific way that he approaches God's word in verse 23? He meditates on the statutes of God. You get another way to say on, on God's word. Meditation isn't something that can be done in 30 seconds. It's not something that can be done with a quick passing or, okay, I read my two verses for today and, I, and I'm done. Sometimes that's all you got and it's a tough day. And again, that's why even you, the hope is that you would long for it until you can read more thoroughly. Maybe you've got a lot going on that week and you've not been able to be in the Word and yet, and yet 
as he meditates on God's word, he finds strength, he finds grounding, right? His confidence, his comfort. God, there might be a whole lot of things going on around me. There might be significant and legitimate dangers going on. And yet, God, I'm at peace as I read and as I meditate on your words. It's a lost art in our circles. Not a whole lot of us meditate um, for, for a whole host of reasons. We live in a busy society. We, we all have busy lives. That's part of it. But another part is we just have forgotten how to do it. We haven't prioritized it. It would be better to, and this is something that has often been said in the past, um, it would be better to read two or three or four verses and meditate on them than to read a whole chapter and walk away and forget the entire thing. Have you ever done that? You, know, you read your chapter, you close it, and you walk away, and you're like, what? what was that I was reading? Something about the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to just walk away and forget, but to meditate, to memorize, to chew on it. That's what meditating is. It's sort of chewing on it thinking about it, praying through it, praying God's words back to him. May the Lord lead us to do that more. In verse 24, he says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Again, all these ways that he speaks about the Lord's word in these different ways, it's, it's poetic, right? This is, this is poetry, they are, the, the, the word of God is his source for, for wisdom, for direction, for identity, just to know who we are as human beings. Uh, why do so many people feel like life is aimless today? Because they don't know what their life is about. Why do so many people feel like life isn't worth living? Because they don't know what they're supposed to be living for. They just don't know. Without God, without, without the holy scriptures, life is pretty meaningless and brutal for a whole lot of people. And even those people who tend to find some sort of meaning that allows them, um, you know, without God to have meaning in this life, that, that meaning becomes very short when you consider how short this life is. If we are to be mighty in God's work, then we must be mighty in God's word. If we want to be equipped as a church, we must do it by digging into God's word. If we want the Lord's blessing in our ministries, and our outreach, and our discipleship, all the different things that we do, we must be grounded in God's word. We must be men and women of the word. Amen? Wow, that was really weak. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Good. Any, any final thoughts as we, as we close tonight? We have a deacon's meeting in a little bit. I want to close a little bit early. Is there anything that anyone would like to share or think to think through? David. Yeah, very often, and I, you, know, you can't speak to every situation. Hopefully most of you heard that. David's talking about a lot of times you hear that. Oh, I think that's a gray area in the Bible, and so we can kind of choose. Uh, we, we often hear things like that. Uh, I've heard that my whole life. But very often people are saying that because they simply don't want to admit what's there. I mean, the Bible's really clear about a lot of things. Are there gray areas? Sure. Sometimes it comes down to wisdom and discernment where we take principles and apply them in a specific situation, doing the best we can in that moment. But what does the Bible have to say about sexuality or gender? It is crystal clear. 
what does the Bible have to say about murder? It is crystal clear. Like, so very often, you know, the, the gray area stuff is applied there just simply because people don't want to acknowledge what's there. I mean, as you say, exactly. Um, sometimes it's simply a lack of knowledge. I mean, I've had people say that, oh, the Bible is not clear about this issue or whatever it is, and then I can give them 10 verses, and they go, oh, just didn't know those were there. Um, and so sometimes we've not been discipled well to know what is there, but that's, that's such a great point, David. Yeah. Other, other thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. And there, there certainly are things that are, that are left to be mysterious to us and that we won't know. I mean, the Apostle Paul says that we see through a glass darkly, right? There are things we don't fully know. But the things that are revealed to us are for us. We, again, sometimes we, we could lean into your point, Bob. Sometimes we can lean into the mystery just because we don't want to do the hard work. Like Revelation, that was a hard study for us to go through, right? Whole bunch of symbols and hard stuff and this. Now, a lot of people just say, I don't want to bother. It's mysterious. Well, there is some mystery there, but there's a whole lot that's revealed. Um, and the scriptures were given to us for us. You know, uh, and uh, everything that God has spoken in his word is for us. Um, and so we need, to, we need to read it and know it. Yeah. Other, other thoughts related to that or anything else? Questions or comments? There's someone back there? No? Ms. Pat, by all means. No? Okay. Okay. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I pray, God, you'd give us a hunger for it and that we as a church, Lord, would, would cling to it. We would, Lord, um, find our bearings in it and, Lord, that you would lead us forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.